The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Catholic Home and the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Teresa, and on this episode, I'm joined by our return guest, Louise and Jacinta. On this series, we're going to be continuing our discussion of the mainstream entertainment for children. Once again, be warned that we will be discussing issues which will make parts of this episode unsuitable for children and possibly unsuitable for young adults. Prior parental assessment is recommended. Welcome back, Louise. Thank you, Teresa. It's fantastic to be here. And welcome back, Jacinta. Thanks, Teresa. I'm glad I can be here again. Now, we covered Disney sufficiently in our last two shows. If you missed parts one and two, you may want to listen to them first before moving on to this episode. I hope all our listeners are convinced by now that they must avoid Disney products like the plague. Today, we will hope to demonstrate that it is not only Disney we should be afraid of, but we should be aware that pretty much the entirety of mainstream media is evil and very dangerous for our children to be partaking of. Now, to open up the show, I'll just quote from a Daily Mail UK article discussing parents who are complaining that the long-running TV cartoon called Peppa Pig is causing the children to misbehave. And the title of this article is called, Shall I Ban Peppa Pig? Or is that being totally unreasonable? So we have a psychologist, Dr. Eric Sigmund, who said that parents were being naive if they thought that what children watched would not affect their behaviour. He said that in recent years, there had been a significant increase in children using adversarial, snide, questioning, confrontational and disrespectful behaviour that they are copied from cartoons. There's nothing special about Peppa Pig. The same applies to all programs, he said. Some 80% of brain development is between birth and three years old. So if they spend a lot of time watching the TV, they will copy forms of behaviours that they see on the TV. He added, the problem is you can't distinguish to children what is real and pretend. You can't just say to the child, the pig was only pretending it was naughty. So it's very good advice if you ask me. So when we decided to do this episode, I was wondering what recent films would be best to cover. And that very day, a toy catalogue arrived in our letterbox from Big W Department Store. Now, I can't even remember the last time such a catalogue was delivered. It was that long ago. So that delivery was very timely. And I noticed the first four or five pages were devoted to various children's merchandise called Minions. Now, I'd never come across these entities before, but figured that they had to be from a movie, given how heavily they were being marketed. So I searched online, and sure enough, all this merchandise was connected with the fairly new movie called Minions. Now, I knew due to the intense promotion of these products that it must be one of those tickly evil movies of recent times, similar to the numerous pages of this catalogue, which were devoted to Disney's Frozen, which we covered quite well in, in part one. And sure enough, just watching the trailers to this movie proved my suspicion was right. And then a few days later, when driving with my children somewhere, they pointed out a huge poster on the side of a bus advertising this movie, and it read, Minions, the rules don't apply to me. You know what? That pretty much sums up what this and all these movies preach, and that is, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. So we know that they are all straight out of the abyss of hell. Anyway, before we present our review of Minions... Would you please explain to our listeners the whole merchandise aspect of these movies and shows, Louise? Yes, a good aspect to cover, as I know that many of us parents get sucked into this side of the media culture too. 
further to what we proved in our last episodes about the morally corrupting nature of mainstream children's media, we mentioned how watching these things over and over and over again serves to continually reinforce these anti-Catholic messages. Well, the whole gamut of what has come to be known as licensed merchandise is an integral part of this multifaceted demonic battle for your child's soul. The first problem is the obvious one, being that we are opting to financially support these satanic companies. That doesn't add up in any Catholic's morality code, surely. Next, we are foistering the rank materialism that is promoted in the modern culture in our own children's lives and homes by buying all this endless stuff. Even if the merchandise we are buying is among those few things that are actually necessary, such as dishes or bedding, as opposed to all the unnecessary toys and gadgets, we are perpetuating the brainwashing of these bad movies, even when we're not actually watching them. They are being continually reminded of them in their everyday activities, given that they are surrounded by their images emblazoned on all their household items. Additionally, we have the problem of the actual toys, which are usually replicas of the characters in the film, with which the children expectedly act out what they were taught in the movies in their play. Given what they are being taught in the shows is bad, this imitation via their play is simply going to be reinforcing the bad example and the corrupt ideas and imagery presented in the movies. Then we have the whole subconscious aspect, so to speak, of this whole concept. Not only are our children being introduced to a range of anti-Christian ideas in these films, many overt and many subliminal, what is so diabolical, is that this is happening within the so-called safe confines of their Catholic homes and families. So their defences are totally down. Whatever is being dished up in these shows will be welcomed into their developing minds without question. The problem is compounded even more when the child's parents, whom they trust implicitly, or at least should, are the very ones who are not only providing opportunities for watching these shows, but are tacitly approving and reinforcing the messages in them by surrounding them and filling their environment with all the merchandise associated with them. Can't you see the incredibly overwhelming mind control system that this has put in place? Yeah. And many of us Catholic parents have been falling for it, hook, line and sinker. Do you think it's mere generosity on these companies' behalf that they provide free toys and licensed items based on their movies with the look happy meals? Look sad, they should be called. <laughs> should be called meals because they're not food. <laughs> and they're also in the grocery shopping too. It's yeah, everywhere. we talk about the fruit and vegetables even. And the, another big thing with these is um, children's parties. So children will have, like, themed parties. They'll have, like, a Frozen-themed party or a Minions-themed party where they buy all the merchandise and they'll have, like, a Minions cake or a Frozen cake. Yeah, and now you say it's true. You go to Spotlight and they've got the plates and the napkins and the cups and the party blowers and the whole thing and then the piñata. Yeah, all on the same thing. And then the parents will take photos and then they'll look back every year at those the photos of all the Disney... Um, oh theme parties gosh. that they've had. It's incredibly diabolical. Wow. Yeah. It's just. Wow. Well, just I want to go live in a cave. <laughs> no, I'm managed without it. Just throw the TV in. out and you'll be fine. <laughs> just, just, just toss the telly and all the junk. Hey, Jacinta, would you mind now sharing our findings on this movie called Minions? Yeah, sure. Well, these Minions are these characters from. There were two previous movies, Despicable Me and Despicable Me 2, where. 
basically um, the main character is some sort of creepy criminal no good guy who's made out to actually be sort of misunderstood and be the the good guy and the minions are the ones who sort of work for him and do all his dirty work and everything and so these two movies were very popular and I think as a result of that the minions in it they sort of got a bit of a cult following so they like to make money so I think that was why they decided that the minions would get their own movie so just just the name in itself is telling in view of what we know about the servants of the devil in terms of what they're commonly called so you know obviously minions they're, they're talking about some sort of people the movie says you know they go by names such as dave carl etc though they look like short yellow capsules and we're told quote they've been around for much longer than we have and that automatically is um promoting the whole agenda of evolution mm. And, quote, they aim to serve the most despicable master of all. Gosh, who could that be? What a great thing to emulate. Yeah. To serve the most despicable master of all. And we know who that master is, of course. Well, the angels have been around for a fair bit longer than the average human, too. So if they're trying to, you know, pretend that they're another way of presenting demons, isn't it? Yeah, I think they're pretty much pushing a type of person, though. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. I mean, who who can know what these people are doing in these bizarre <laughs> movies? <laughs> it's all yellow things. <laughs> the barbiturates no, or something. Yeah. It's a yellow submarine. It's like the Beatles coming back. But <laughs> oh, who knows? But so you've got the opening Universal logo um, is shown in, in one particular trailer for this movie, and it shows all the continents melding into one mass. And again, this is, I think, as well as being an allusion to, you know, the One World Order, which is part of the Illumination, and this is also Illumination Entertainment, tells us it's an Illuminati message. It's just as so well as that, yeah. yeah. I think it's also um, alluding to the idea of the prehistory where you had all the all the world. The Pangea. Yeah, like the, Pangea. The, the continents before they, yes. before they broke into the various continents, so to speak. Which, of course, happened. Oh, yes. So the three main minion characters represent three types of people. One goes in search of the most evil master for seemingly want of power and the other human respect and the other one for pleasure. So we're told Kevin felt pride, Stuart felt hungry mostly, he was going to be the one to eat this banana. Bob? Bob was frightened of the journey ahead. So Bob has one green and one brown eye, which is slightly strange. Yeah, you just wonder. They don't do anything randomly. There's always a purpose. There's always a reason behind These are animated, so they've drawn these in intentionally, and that is weird. Yeah. They must symbolise something. So the banana eater seems to represent pleasure seekers. So the banana has only got one eye. So is this perhaps, you know, alluding to the occultist or Illuminati sort of symbolism? Perhaps the banana itself is also some sort of um, impurity symbolism as well? We're just speculating, but it could be they've got like one eye for the one kind, like homo as opposed to hetero. And, I mean, there are probably a few different things that, that it could mean at the one time. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, kill a few birds with one stone or with one eye. <laughs> Throughout these trailers um, for the movie, you can see that not only is this particular minion a pleasure seeker, but he's also a homosexual pervert. This is initially implied by him being obviously different from the other minions. He only has one eye as opposed to two. He's shown to be physically attracted to a fire hydrant, which is, of course, completely normal. 
And that fire hydrant has one hose outlet, so it looks the same as him. So one hose outlet, one eye. Could be one-eyed, you know, homosexual, as we were saying, rather than a heterosexual tendency implied there. And there's a fair bit more to demonstrate this claim, which, you know, we'll explain later. At one point, the three main minion characters are on a boat, and the one-eyed one gets hallucinations that his two fellow minions are bananas, and instead of trying to peel or bite into them, as you'd kind of expect to do if you were eating a banana, he proceeds to lick the minion, which is, again, slightly strange and bizarre. Totally bizarre. And while this is going on, the other minion start, starts violently sucking the head of the other banana-looking minion, which is kind of really disturbing. Are these people on drugs making this film? I mean... Maybe the uh, yellow submarine LSD has kicked in. Who knows? But it's it's disturbing. And given that young children tend to act out what they see in movies or TV, I don't want to even think about what what that's going to end up with um, children doing in daycare centres and at home with their brothers and sisters. Oh. So we're then shown a group of people walking into a convention in Orlando called VillainCon 1968. So there's a normal-looking family driving their young daughter to this villain con, and as they're driving her, she reads a villain con magazine advertising a female character, Scarlet Overkill. Amongst the crowd are shown a huge sumo wrestler wearing a waistband thong-type underwear apparatus thing. So a huge bare backside is clearly shown. Charming. Yeah, we all want to see a um, sumo wrestler's bottom. Then another guy is wearing Skull and Crossbones image on his jacket back. It's just loaded with junk. Scarlet Overkill, who is an antichrist-like satanic figure, you know, the similarities to the Apocalypse's Whore of Babylon are striking in her name, appearance, and being shown surrounded in golden riches. So she says, doesn't it feel so good to be bad? And the crowd cheers wildly in agreement. So again, this inversion of, you know, good and bad. We're shown very clearly a cross-dressing drag queen with a moustache, just to make sure children don't miss the point. And it looks just like her yelling, I love you, Scarlet. Oh, that is perverse. She later says, work for me and all your dreams come true. Respect, power, banana. What does that mean? Again, maybe the LSD has kicked in. Yeah. Who knows? It's it's not something that's going to provide any clarity or spiritual enrichment in your child's life. Yeah, if we go back to our first show we did a couple of months ago, we were quoting what Pope Pius XI said, you know, what you're supposed to have in cinema and what you shouldn't have. You can see that this doesn't even come close to what the Catholic standards are. So it really just has no place in the Catholic home, this sort of stuff. Respect, power, banana. So, okay, we want human respect, we want power, and banana, it must be the, the pleasure-seeking. Simply, that's what, they, that's what they're saying. And it's the opposite of, you know, the respect and the power, the opposite of what we should be, you know, meek and humble. Yeah, the three allurements of the world. This Scarlet Overkill, she then tells a bedtime story version of the three little pigs. The minions, who obviously represent some sort of men, they're shown as pigs in an Eden-like garden with a prominent rainbow. So I know in, um, I think it was last month's episode, we were talking about the, the rainbow symbolism. Yes, so it's heavily into there. And you'd like to think it was just innocent. You know, it's a beautiful rainbow. It's a lovely decorative feature. But unfortunately, they can't get the benefit of the doubt. They haven't earned that. You just have to wonder why this thing is coming up in so many of the movies, which we know are promoting that LGBT sodomitic agenda. So there it is again. And it's really sad when you have to look sort of sceptically and cynically at something that 
you should, you know, God's made for us and we shouldn't have to do that, but we do. Anyway, so she narrates that they encounter a big bad wolf who's a type of scarlet overkill, so again, the Satan Antichrist figure, who hires the three pigs to come work for her. One day the pigs did something stupid, shows a crystal glass crown dropped and shattered into pieces. She huffed and puffed and blew them off the face of the earth. She's there yelling while showing a metal anvil-type object, a bathtub, a spaceship with an alien sitting in it, and then a military tank falling on top of them, crushing them. Then she says, the end. Wow, total violence. And again, it's almost like, um, so we were talking in previous episodes about fairy tales which should have a positive message are all inverted, and within this actual story you've got a, a fairy tale that's having the same thing sort of happen. The perverse inverted fairy tale within the fairy tale. Yeah, yeah. So, gosh. So um, another trailer for this movie says, finding a master was easy, keeping a master was when things got tricky. It shows the despicable masters throughout their history lesson, including a prehistoric giant, you know, the ancient Egyptians and the pyramids are shown in one trailer, medieval knight, Napoleon, Dracula. It's said that they become aimless and listless and virtually are on the verge of dying because they have no despicable master to serve. So it's implying that some people need to be minions of the devil in order to survive. It's blatantly evil. Mm. These three main characters go out in search of a despicable master. So they travel the world. They go to Australia. Oh, we must have missed them. (laughs) What a shame. I know. To India and to New York City, then Orlando, Florida to find Scarlet Overkill. At the convention that we mentioned before, the stage has a circular Stargate-style portal opening with lights encircled around it, which leads onto the catwalk, occult symbolism there, similar to the rabbit hole, you know, the portal to another dimension, demonic realm, which is seen in a lot of modern movies and TV shows. She shows Queen Elizabeth and says she really, really wants her crown. So what does Queen Elizabeth represent here? Everyone in the way of these minions are depicted as moronic bumblers or easily distracted with some impure allurement. For example, the British guard of the crown jewels is old, decrepit, and virtually blind and hopeless at guarding the treasure. Another scene shows a minion flashing its supposed breasts at a man to distract him. Once again, totally unacceptable smut, especially when it's in a movie for young children. Again, desensitising them to this kind of thing, thinking, making them think it's acceptable. At some point, Scarlet accuses them as backstabbing little traitors and then says, don't take this the wrong way, but I hate you, and shoves them in a dungeon filled with instruments of torture, you know, maybe some sort of hell symbolism there. Then the torturer and his tools are seen to not work, and it turns into a joke and a playroom. Immediately following, we're shown a scene of opulent luxury with impure scenes, including a male minion in lewd thong-type underwear that's kind of associated with sodomites and perverts, walking into a palatial room. His backside is the centre of attention in this scene. Gross. So then it jumps to a scene where the one-eyed minion in a spa bathtub with two fire hydrants either side of him, whom he's lecherously all over. Blatant impurity is depicted here. And I'm, we know it's it's a fire hydrant, but it's it's what it represents that's, that's sort of scary and harmful. So we know from an earlier scene that this minion views the fire hydrant as an object of his amorous advances. A threesome scene in a bathtub in a children's movie. It's totally depraved. What the heck? It? Just outrageous. The yeah. words fail me for this. Yeah, that, that so particular bad. scene is the one I just, my jaw just dropped. I, I thought that is not salvageable on any level. Yeah. 
You know, and that one thing can cause grave attacks on purity of a child for the rest of their life. It has taken away their innocence. So, yeah, but, but that, like you say, what the heck is right? Yeah, and, I mean, whether the fire hydrant characters are supposed to be male or female or, or both or what, Yeah, you know, that scene alone renders the movie, as you were saying, one that children shouldn't actually see because it can give great scandal. And as we see from excerpts from the previous two movies, the suspected homosexual minion dresses up with fruit on his head, sort of come in Miranda style and dances. And the commentary in the new movie's trailer says he is different and shows him putting two starfish on like a woman's bikini top, desensitising children to... Cross-dressing. Cross-dressing and also <coughs> just immodesty in general because we know that, you know, bikini-style dress isn't appropriate yeah. for anyone, let alone Catholics, males or females. <laughs> You shouldn't laugh about it. It's so disgusting. But it's just, it's they've asked for it. And just in case, you know, anyone watching it still hasn't got the message that this one-eyed minion is a fruit, they even show him being shoved into a fruit jelly jar like all the other fruit in the factory. It's, you know, it's abstract, but it's this kind of subliminal messaging. Creepy people who make these films used to reinforce their, their messages. In another scene, the minions are shown dancing and singing and what seems to be a homo minion has a rainbow-coloured party blower thing and blows it out just to make sure no one misses this. Again, the rainbow. So this is also depicted on some of their merchandise, including being on an image of the DVD cover of Despicable Me 2. No other minion has any party blower at all, by the way, so attention is clearly drawn to this rainbow horn blower, which is a central feature of this scene and the DVD case cover. The same minion is shown dressing up as the female human character as a man practices asking her out on a date. Another scene where the minions dress up, in that scene all of them use male disguises except the one-eyed one who's dressed as a female. And, of course, the minions' movie official soundtrack is an old Queen song. Surprise, surprise. They're letting their audience know, the ones in the scene, I think, hey, this is for their LGBT audience, that, hey, this is for you guys. This one fits your bill. This is really that agenda. Because they've got their little codes that they send out. Yeah. They and can't put a rainbow sticker on it, but they put rainbows in it and give them other little subtle cues to know that they can support this. Yes. And they're probably thinking that the rest of the world who isn't in that scene, they're like, what a bunch of morons who are, just have no idea what this is all about. As far as any additional sort of dodgy material, they show a human older man character with a Hawaiian girl doll very modestly dressed wearing coconut shells displayed in his workplace. So they're conditioning children to think that it's normal for men to be lecherous. Um, a true-eyed minion is shown to get all googly-eyed at a female human character who is immodestly presented throughout, by the way, and they show him go off daydreaming in this really corny, cliche, romantic setting with her, leading up to fireworks going off as he's about to plant a sloppy kiss on her when his daydream is interrupted. It's the sort of thing that has absolutely no place in a movie made for preschoolers. No way. Another scene shows the one-eyed minion waking up to a dreamlike scene on a tropical beach resort setting. He sees his fellow two-eyed minion dressed as a French maid and the other one is dressed up as the Hawaiian coconut woman, offering him a banana as he shakes his or her or its shimmy and runs into the ocean. So the minion runs after him as he strips off his overalls and we see him naked from the back view running into the ocean, just in case we hadn't had enough bums. That's just a very disturbing scene, though. Yeah. It's, it's a whole, the whole scene is just not loaded something. with impurity. Yeah, not something 
I think any of us want our kids watching. I don't want to watch it myself. Yeah, of course, yeah, goes without saying. There's another sort of cringy scene at a wedding which involves a minion who starts singing a romantic-sounding song as the other two minions walk onto the scene. One's the one-eyed one, and they're clearly romantically involved. One has his arm around the other one, rubbing his shoulder, and they have their heads snuggled together. Seriously, again, no place in a kid's movie. Yeah, the one's, one's like called Dave and one's called Bill, so there's no mistake about these being two men. Yeah. That's oh. blatant. Then, this, as this romantic song performance continues, they show the bridal couple kissing in a very cringy scene, and everyone cheers, except a young bridesmaid watching. So she grimaces and says, can I be the first to say ill? And, I mean, I'd like to be the second to say ill. And, again, what the heck is this kind of stuff doing in a kid's movie? Surprise, surprise, um, it leads into the reception with a village people song. That must have been a coincidence, yeah? No, yes. Uh, So that's being performed, and three of our one-eyed monsters are dressed as three of the village people, and it seems that they've recruited one of their two-eyed friends to be the fourth, and everyone joins in the dancing and partying. So based on what's being described here, this movie is in no way suitable for children. It's so deceptive because the minions are kind of, from first glance kind of cute creatures and they sound cute but the messages that they spread are far from cute yeah the whole thing is perverse as with everything they make i mean is there anything more you want to add to that one louise or she pretty well covered that one flabbergastingly bad isn't it it's just it is and it's just so much loaded into one little movie I mean, we talked quite a bit about the movies themselves, but there's just one other thing I thought I might mention at this point, just a little bit off topic. It's just an incidental thing I came across in research for this show, but there's an additionally horrifying thing that happened, which alone actually is reason for Catholics to never set foot in a public cinema. I happened across this news story um, of an incident, apparently, about a year ago, in a cinema screening of the children's movie called Frozen, which we discussed previously. It was somewhere in Florida. and Well, instead of the scheduled feature film being screened, a pornographic trailer for a triple X rated movie was shown instead. Can you believe that? Yeah. Which is worse, that or Frozen? I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, I mean, it's just um, incredible. So, like, and then they were interviewing the patrons afterwards and they were telling their horror stories about trying to cover the eyes of their children uh. and the ears of their children. I mean, I can't even mention the name of this movie. It was that bad, not to mention, you know, what's in it. But it's an absolute atrocity and... To add salt to the wound, the cinema had the audacity to offer free movie tickets as compensation for this disaster. As if anyone in their right mind <laughs> would want those tickets and miss that happening again. It's very disturbing. The same movie houses that people bring their children to also screen hardcore pornography. And I tell you what, that cinema is darn lucky that I wasn't among those patrons when that happened. I wouldn't be in such a den of iniquity in the first place. But hypothetically speaking, had that been done to my children, whoa, there would have been blood in the streets that day. I think I would just lose my mind if such an assault on my children's purity was perpetrated. Yeah, I reckon. I'm, I'm glad for everyone's sake that you weren't there that day. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of that going on in the classroom as well, films getting mixed up and the wrong thing being yeah. shown. And... It's very telling that the same cinemas are screening this stuff as well as children's stuff. This, we should have nothing to do with any of it. It's just it's not there's, – there's no place for the children. And I mean, it. children's innocence is – it's one thing that just makes children so special and it has to be guarded so carefully. And yeah. 
Yeah, and quite an impediment to grace if they lose that purity. Yes, and you can't get it back, that innocence, once it's been stolen. I just found that really disturbing when I came across that as well. And this has happened, I guess we shouldn't be going to them in the first place, but people just think that it's fine, they think it's Disney and this is what happened to them. Just stay away from these places. But anyway, well, moving along, trying to move past Disney as well, we also (laughs) assessed a children's movie released, I think it was released this past July, called Home just to see what DreamWorks are up to lately. So what's the story there, Louise? Well, first of all, the title, the artwork uh, on the letter O in home is this strange spiral, which is quite a popular sign in New Age and occultist circles. This, if you may recall, this has been in the productions, um, including the spiral pavement in the original Mm. Wizard of Oz. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, And it's been replicated in the Kabbalistic Lego movie. And I did a little bit of research, and apparently this spiral means universal, but not in the Catholic sense, of course, maybe a, a universal satanic religion. Mm. I'm not sure what it means, but that's that's what came up on the internet. Some of our listeners may not know about the authors of some books that were made into what are known as classic children's movies, such as The Wizard of Oz. L. Frank Baum, who authored The Wonderful Wizard of Oz and his wife, were members of the Theosophical Society, and his beliefs were woven into his writings. He also penned a play titled The Uplift of Lucifer. (laughs) Mm. He Mm. also had involvement with the women's suffrage movement. And Incidentally, if you aren't aware of the direct connection of feminism with Satanism, you should do some more research to see how deeply evil this is. I think people think that because something like The Wizard of Oz is considered a classic and because it was you know, made a couple of decades ago, it's safe. But it just shows you even back then it's not. Indeed. So similarly, Edith Nesbitt, authoress of The Railway Children, Five Children and It, and other books which were made into movies, co-founded the Fabian Society. (laughs) So there's a lot of grim people involved in this books behind these movies. And there's no um, coincidence at all that they've achieved such success. No. They have no one to indoctrinate the children to, to change society and that, that's yep. clearly why they've branched in from Fabianism into children's books. Yeah, they don't, they don't bother oh, making no. adults' movies as much as focusing on grabbing the children, getting them young. No, they're bullies, aren't they? They don't pick on someone their own size. It's pick on defenceless children. So Felix Sultan, the Zionist speaker and author of Bambi, A Life in the Woods, which is said to be an extension of his Zionist activism, was later immortalised in the film by Disney called Bambi. He also wrote a book titled The Hound of Florence, which is what Disney's shaggy dog movies were based on. I will quote from an article titled Bambi's Jewish Roots found on the website Jewish Review of Books, and I think this is quite telling. Quote, At the time, Sultan was mostly known for his wide-ranging activities as a newspaper critic, as a cultivator of connections to the Habsburg family, and for being the author of the pornographic fictional memoir Josephine Matzenbacher, published anonymously but immediately attributed to Sultan, the book relates in vivid detail the story of a prostitute who has experienced everything a woman can experience and it goes on um, and who claims to regret none of it. He He sounds like a good bloke. Published in 1906. That's how long the rot rot has been there for a long time. We tend to, you know, look back on the 1900s as the the good old days and we wish we could live there because everything was good, but it wasn't. Oh, there you go. No. It didn't just happen suddenly. It started 
way back. Well, Evelyn Waugh refers to the 1920s as the most decadent decade. I mean, of course, he hadn't seen the 60s yet, yeah. but it was pretty, it was it was actually really, really, really bad. So while you've got the Casteros and the Catholics being martyred in Mexico and, and the whole world being oblivious to this, at the same time, you've got this outrageous decadence and then this explosion of like the Theosophical Society and all that, that esoteric cults. And, and basically occultism really exploded around that time. But going back to what you were saying, Louise. So we can basically sum it up and say thank you very much, Disney, MGM, and all you other movie producers for serving up the ideologies of such people as porn writers, Zionist activists, Theosophists and Fabians as far back as 1939. The silent movie made in 1925 of The Wizard of Oz, which most of us haven't seen, yeah. and for continuing to pump out their filth ever since. But anyway, back to the movie that we were originally going to talk about called Home. This whole movie is an extraterrestrial alien promotion. Thus, it's a direct attack on God. The leader of the good aliens shows himself with demonic horns, and I wonder if Disney plans to finally let people into the secret that aliens are in fact demons, and is it even a prelude to some kind of diabolical encounter for mankind on a math scale? Back to the familiar blurring of good and evil, it is typical with the good aliens and the bad aliens theme, but it turns out that the bad aliens aren't bad after all, they were misunderstood. Sounds like Maleficent, doesn't it? Yes. It sounds like the dragon and it sounds like all these... Demon characters too. It sounds like the uplift of Satan, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the bottom line seems to be that the humans and aliens can happily coexist together. Along the way, we are treated to major attitude in the young girl and a shameless promotion of modern pop music, including a scene when a song called Motionless and Obedient is put on. She says, ew, and switches back to her rock and pop music. Further, we are subjected to vulgar and crude movements by the alien as his body involuntarily gyrates to the music. It seems like he is possessed by a demon the moment the rock music starts. The voice for the girl character is someone called Rihanna, whom, of course, I'd never heard of. So given this movie promotes her and her music, I did a quick internet search She's bad. on her. Yes, she is, and found she has Illuminati, perversion, Satanism, lasciviousness, written all over her. It's amazing, though, how many young kids look up to her as some sort of role model, and she's an absolute morally devoid creep. Oh, oh gosh, depraved. Yeah, I, I'd never heard of it before this either, and, yeah, she just, just a quick internet search will show you she is totally everything you said. Another Madonna character, let's Yeah, say. pretty much. Meaning, not, meaning the pop. <laughs> yeah. Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm not saying she's actually a member of the Illuminati because, of course, this is a secret society. It's never been announced. There's no way to know this. But whether she knows it or not, she is promoting their agenda. She's sporting their symbols. She's definitely a pawn for the Illuminati. She's, mm. she's helping their cause. So any parents who are trying to avoid the rock and pop music industry from entering their home, they may as well just give up if they're allowing the modern movies and the TVs in because they are actually filled with this rock and pop music. They work in concert together. They're, they're all pushing the same barrow. And, of course, the movies and TV shows are going to be promoting the pop music industry because they're all puppets of the same masters. They're all in it together. You won't find your parish choir getting a look in the audition for any of these films. I can no, they don't you. fit the bill, do they? No, not <laughs> yeah. at all. That's, that's about all I've got to say on that. Film, oh, gosh, that's plenty. And just, oh, yes, it's, it's a... 
yet another shocker. Well, we'll go back a bit in time, just a little bit to now, to 2013, and we'll take a brief look at an animated film called Epic. Now, Jacinta, what have we got with that one? Okay, so Epic's an animated Regency Blue Sky Studios production owned by 20th Century Fox, who also made the Ice Age trilogy, which overtly preaches evolution. They also made the Rio movie, which was obscene, and Robots, which is described on a website as follows. This movie has cartoon-style peril and violence with some thrill-ridish special effects. There's a little potty language, plus some potty jokes, including an extended flatulence joke sequence. There's also some mild sexual humour, including jokes about cross-dressing and fixing a dog. Great messages abound about following your dreams and not giving up. Again, that's what we want our children watching, yes. isn't it? Charming. They're scheduled to release a film in 2018 titled Anubis, which sounds ominous. The storyline provided is, A Mummy's Curse Condemns Dr. George Henry's Spirit to the Egyptian Underworld. Sounds very pagan. Mm. While trying to free him, Henry's son Chance plums the depths of the underworld and encounters a variety of monsters. Epic is a new age and magic-based movie with a pantheistic environmentalist overtone. The main girl character, whose mother tragically dies, again, another movie like a parents. Yeah. Mm. These same themes keep popping up in all of them. I think I could make a film like this myself now. I've just got the formula. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've, we've we know exactly covered what the key. They do. Uh, we've, there's certain help that they have that uh, we don't want, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, this girl character, as I said, her mum dies, so this girl's forced to live with her previously estranged father, but a large chasm remains between them, so she can't emotionally connect with him, as it were. So she's transported magically to what seems a different realm, but it's shown that she's just miniaturised and turns into a kind of fairy-like creature, but is still in this world. So this realm is populated with all sorts of fantasy creatures, including a group who say... We are the Leafmen, protectors of the forest. Environmentalist agenda again. Yeah, again and again. It's like um, I suppose environmentalism's almost become a religion in itself. Well, it's pantheism to the extent they've taken it to. Yeah. It's all part of that. The world is God. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. They put it above the humankind, of course, so we yeah. have to all be annihilated so the earth can flourish. Exactly. Ironically, the bodyguards of a pod that's said to be vital to the survival of that whole forest world are a snail and a slug, the slowest creatures imaginable. The bad guy who is a bug along with his evil son are the characters whom the audience are emotionally manipulated to side with as they are much more interesting characters. The queen of this realm has the voice of Beyonce. Now, she comes out of the same mould as Rihanna, in case you aren't familiar with this pop music puppet. Her husband also um, is heavily entrenched in the Illuminati, so the two of them are. Um, and the central theme song by Beyonce tells us what we need to know about the core message of this film. So I'll read some of the lyrics of this song, Rise Up. So I'm the matriarch of your land when you need to take my hand. Come into my arms, I'll keep you safe from harm. I'll keep your precious heart. Some people try to drag you down. Take it from me. Stand and be proud. You're a warrior. You're my warrior. Be who you are. Be who you are. So again. Oh, that same thing. Yeah, don't change yourself. Don't better yourself. Just be happy with who you are because you don't need to change. Know that life holds more than what you see. Rise up, little man. 
rise up little man again this, this elevating of, of people I will fight for you and me look into my eyes and believe little woman we will fight for you we will fight for you little woman will fight we will rise I see you and me take my hand and we we will stand we will fight for you we will fight for you notice it progresses so towards the end it's goes well it has these repeated repetitive rise up rise up little man and then it ends with rise up rise up little woman I mean, there's a feminist thing going on with this movie as well. And it ends up with that, and then it's all about the little woman. We'll fight for you. So I don't know what it means, but I just noticed that they're in the lyrics. Yeah, so I won't read the whole thing because I'll, I'll get sick of saying, you know, stand up and we will fight for you. Um, yeah. It's kind of repeated gratuitously. Now, remember that these songs are a major component of all the brainwashing techniques of this form of media, as we've talked about in previous episodes here. They're memorised easily. And connections um, are made, you know, with the visuals and other messages throughout the films, and they're reinforced here as the song goes through um, the viewer's mind. At this point, we'd like to remind you that you're listening to the Catholic Home and the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Teresa, and I'm joined by Jacinta and Louise, and today we've been discussing the battle for your child's soul via the entertainment industry. We want to remind you that the Catholic Home is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. We've talked about that music aspect of it, but moving on, I was just looking at on the internet, so I don't actually watch these movies, but uh, looking at trailers and reviews, I noticed a more recent animated film, which I think was 2015 maybe, called Hotel Transylvania 2. Now, it's a kiddie vampire theme, complete with the expectedly macabre, creepy messages and scenes that one would expect from such a title. As I said, I haven't looked at it, but I presume there was a previous Hotel Transylvania 1, <laughs> character movie along the same lines. Now, I've watched some trailers for quite a few other recent children's animated movies, and every single one of them looked weird and were clearly problematic in at least one way. I couldn't find one recent movie that didn't have something wrong about it, which was evident just from the trailers. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised as we know movie making is not just about making money as they would have the mindless masses believe. Now, to further demonstrate that this corruption of youth via Hollywood goes back long before this turn of the century, Louise, will you now give an expose on the Steven Spielberg film E.T. from 1982? Sure, Teresa. Well, the first thing that jumps out about this film is that it's again promoting the existence of extraterrestrial organisms which is tied in with the lie of evolution both of which undermine the belief in the existence of god in the modern culture and pave the way for occultist beliefs such as transhumanism so this film opens with a family scene of course it shows the older boys and their friends totally out of control and ignoring their mother it also clearly shows that the father has sinned mortally has run off with another woman. But more distressing than all this is the very early scenes show the older brother calling his younger brother of about eight years old the most vulgar name I've ever heard that indicated sodomite activity on behalf of the young eight-year-old. You're kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And the further foul language continues throughout the film. So following this introduction it is the discovery of a being that emerged from a spaceship. As the movie unfolds, it is clear that the adults in the film are corrupt and generally wish to harm the alien. So he's persecuted, a poor persecuted... Poor alien. alien. 
Um, adults are in it for their own gain or just for curiosity. The children, on the contrary, are shown to have more compassion towards this creature. The hero of the film, the young boy Elliot, lies to his mother and tricks her throughout the film, and the poor mother is so inundated with all her duties, including working outside the home, that she is continually bamboozled by him. He takes full advantage of this. What I find the most insidious thing about this film, aside from all the above, including the false idea that alien beings exist on other planets and can travel here, is that the filmmaker has stolen many facts from our Lord's life and ascribed them to this alien, actually making a parody of our Lord. Let me list some of these for you. The alien can see straight to the souls of humans and can communicate with them. He can cause life to flourish. He can heal. He can alter the laws of nature at will and fly without wings and cause others to fly. And can you believe this? The alien has a sacred heart. It glows red and shines through his skin at opportune moments and shows forth the deep love the alien being has for Elliot. It's just so blasphemous mm. and sacrilegious. Indeed. Oh. Unbelievable. Keep in mind it's directed by Steven Spielberg. It is indeed, yes. The creature advises good behaviour despite condoning many evil behaviours at the same time. He resurrects himself from the dead. Oh and God. leaves via his spaceship and tells Elliot and the, the children that he simultaneously will remain with them. Mm. Sound familiar? Has this filmmaker wanted to make a hit movie by stealing the most sublime and beautiful moments of the true God's life on earth for his own financial gain? I think it actually goes deeper than this. I think Steven Spielberg, as you said, who directed this film, he wants to implant the idea that either the life of our Lord is full of commonly known story plots and therefore is likewise just another story or that the elements of our Lord's life are actually commonplace or, worse, that our Lord is not God but simply another alien being. To back this up, which is what I think he's actually trying to say, I've also seen in popular culture T-shirts of that company called Mambo with images of our Lord emerging from a spaceship so in other parts of the popular culture, we see this idea that our Lord is not God, but simply another alien from another planet that's just come down here to tell us how to get our act together. Mm. And of course, anyone who believes this would take the moral and theological teachings of our Lord to be optional. I mean, why would one creature have to listen to another creature on how to order their life? Yeah. Add Mambo to the band list. That's it. So <laughs> it's, it's just... I had just evil. I I had no idea until we did this show just how terrible that movie was, and it was 1982. So mm. an awful long time ago to come out with such horrible stuff. And I can't believe that people weren't ranting and raving and, and boycotting and picketing and carrying on with this one. Maybe they were. I can't remember. Well, you can see the alien theme has been around, and even in children movies for a long time. But another similarly disturbing theme has it been introduced into movies, not only for adults, but in recent times, even in children's movies. Now, we mentioned this in our general list in our first show, and it's what's called transhumanism, and I know that we've mentioned this word a few times. So just in case our listeners aren't familiar with what this is, would you please explain this concept, Jacinta? Well, transhumanism is now mostly linked with the artificial intelligence theme and technology in general. So you can find 
um, artificial intelligence as a standalone in some old movies, but what we're seeing in more recent ones is the merging of technology with humans to bring about an evolution of humans into superhumans. As you probably noticed, straight away we see the whole ideology between the Marvel superheroes. This is satanic. Don't be fooled by the silly outfits. It isn't just a bit of fun make-believe. It's all tied in with Satanists' new age belief of man becoming God through some secret knowledge. So some teen and adult movies merely portray a merging of technology with humans to turn the human into a God figure. But there's also another message being presented in some of these transhumanist films, suggesting that Lucifer is the real God. We can perhaps explain this in a future episode if there's a demand for an analysis of adult films. But for now, it's enough to mention that there's a part of the repackaging of Satan as the good guy. But this goes even one step further. We can see how the desire of Lucifer to be worshipped as God has come out into the open in recent movies and shows. You've probably heard of the series scheduled for next year on Fox TV called Lucifer, where he'll be represented as a helper to humanity. This yeah. is the ultimate of, you know, the inversion of the good is bad and bad is good. They've just gotten so blatant. It's just all laid out. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is an extreme example, but there are many other subtle variations of this same theme already, often involving the demon figure hiding under a female or alien persona. Like an E.T., yeah. Yeah. I know we did Disney to death in our last episode and the one before that, but it's worth repeating that their recent film, Big Hero 6, is all about this artificial intelligence and transhumanism. I mean, like, knowing what we know, which is only the tip of the iceberg, I'm actually terrified of what damage such movies and TV could do to my children. I'm also terrified of the divine punishment I will incur as a parent if I allow my children to be exposed to this antichrist culture when it is easily avoidable. Now, I think of what the gospel account tells us about those who scandalize children. We all know, we know this, and as St. Luke said, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should scandalize one of these little ones. Now, this is repeated almost word for word by St. Matthew and St. Mark. What I found interesting is that the only other place in the Bible where reference is made to a millstone and being cast into the sea is actually the passage in the Apocalypse of St. John in chapter 18, where it describes the fate of Babylon, which is that great city associated with the Antichrist beast, the Apocalypse. And this is what it says in Apocalypse 18, 21. And a mighty angel took up a stone, as it were a great millstone, and cast it into the sea, saying, With such violence as this shall Babylon, that great city, be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Now, considering one of the striking hallmarks of our current era is the absolutely horrendous and widespread scandalization of children, as we're seeing in all these movies, except in, in TV, it actually isn't a stretch at all to connect our times with the era of the apocalyptic beasts and its great city, Babylon. Now, of course, we also see the obvious application to the Novus Ordo Satanic Sect too, to this great city, which came about due to the same organised forces of plotters and schemers who control the media. Yet more to the point, we parents will incur the same condemnation if we are a cause, even if it be by negligence, for the scandalisation of children, especially those little ones whom God has specifically entrusted to us to protect. So we must stop making excuses and trying to justify the unjustifiable. You know, I think of this extract from The Imitation of Christ, and you may be familiar with it. It says, oftentimes we are unconscious of how blind we are. We often do amiss and do worse in excusing ourselves. Well, it certainly applies to, you know, people who are not being careful about what the children are watching. 
So if we pay heed to what all our Saturday clerics, especially Bishop Sanborn, keep telling us in the spirit of reverence that all prophets and reformers sent by God in times of dire need deserve, we will want to heed the admonitions and thus entirely reject the modern culture, which necessarily requires that we avoid the mainstream media like the plague. Yeah, I think just please encourage all your friends to make the effort to get mainstream movies and TV out of their children's lives. If the situation in your family is as such that it needs to be, then use the method of gradualism so as to avoid a mutiny by substituting the safer, older shows in place of the more modern productions and weaning children down on their amount of viewing time. Start now and don't give up until the goal has been achieved. And remember what St. Matthew says, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent bear it away. So you can't expect to save your soul if you're too slothful or apathetic to do even the bare minimum of what's necessary to protect your family from these known evils. The previous generations were duped. They had no idea of the horror that was being foisted upon them. But the verdict is well and truly out now on the undeniably diabolical nature of the mainstream media. Well, I don't know about you ladies, but I am well and truly past trying to dig through the enormous stinking dung heap, hoping to find a gold nugget. The chances of finding something passable are getting less and less each year anyway. Yeah, no surprise there, because we know that Anton LaVey, the founder of the Church of Satan, said, the birth of TV was a magical event foreshadowing its satanic significance. Since 1939, TV's infiltration has been so gradual, so complete, that no one even noticed. How creepy is that? Furthermore, LaVey likens the entertainers and newcasters to the clergy and parish priests of the TV religion to spread the word about the satanic church. And he goes on to say, television is the major mainstream infiltration of the new satanic religion. That's scary. There it is. (laughs) We must all wake up and smell the awful lot of coffee in Brazil. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) and you know, by the fruits you shall know them. That's what we're told. We know the Hollywood tree and all of its branches and fruits are just rotten. Those reprobates' ideas and whole society is a cesspit of unspeakable putrefaction and darkness, and they never stop extending the nefarious and harmful influences and programs. And they're always targeting younger and younger people. Have you noticed that? Consequently, the world is now immersed in impurity and total rebellion against God. And it starts, as you said, at a younger and younger age. Yep, that just... It used to be that, you know, the teenage years were... I mean, the whole teenage thing's a construct anyway, but it used to be that the teenage years were considered rebellious, so now it's you can expect it way younger. The yep. tweens, they call it. No, they're yeah. grabbing them from the cradle. They're, they're just, they're, like I said, they make me sick that they're targeting them literally as babies. Yeah. You know? Knowing all this, like how can we purport ourselves as Catholics, how can we purport to be in the world but not of the world if we are allowing our families to be educated and entertained by Lucifer, the prince of this world? Because that's really essentially what mainstream media is all about. I mean, I know it's probably very depressing for some people to hear this sort of stuff because it really means you're just going to throw it all out. But not all is not lost. So, Louise, would you tell us what is left to watch on DVD for those who still want to let the children watch the occasional show? Well, there is still some non-strain material. Um, there's a little bit if one is watching, say, one show or movie a week at the most, there would be time. You would be able to find some shows, which is more than enough time for any child, really, just to watch one one show a week. If you don't mind picking through the older shows and movies, many of the Rawhide and Combat TV series of the 1960s are suitable for primary-aged or older children. Some of the Little House on the Prairie series are okay, maybe mostly the first few seasons, and they unfortunately did get bad after that. 
Uh, yeah, you have to be very careful because Michael Landon had New Age and the cult of man type beliefs, which did work their way into his productions ultimately. And this series doesn't really follow the books. In fact, it was primetime viewing for so many years on the mainstream TV stations, it makes it very sus as to how safe it was. Oh, you cynic. <laughs> well, it seems to be Well, you have to worth. be now. <laughs> True, though. We're currently investigating the 1960s series Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. A few are okay. There is one alien theme so far that one would have to skip and another one which has an immodestly clad woman. The old cartoon Madeline and those movies of the same name seem to be mostly all right. The animals do act like animals in these. They don't wear, <laughs> wear clothes or talk or stand upright. Oh, very different to Disney. Yeah. yeah. So there's a few other movies that we could think about, perhaps Anne of Green Gables, Canadian production, part the, um, one and two. Yeah, the, the part one and two were good. The, the third one, there were some problems with that and that was the one where um, the director deviated completely from the books and they actually made a fourth one as well, which was terrible. Well, so to stick with part one and two then. Part one and two, yeah. Is that done on purpose too, to get us into a series and it seems good at first and then the parent decides, yeah, that's fine. And then they... Maybe partly, I think maybe partly just to milk it and make some more money. <laughs> yeah, could have been. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, there's the Stuart Little movie. Um, possibly we could watch 1950s Swiss Family Robinson and Treasure Island. 1949, The Secret Garden. What about the newer one? Do you, are there any problems with that? Uh, I think, I, from what I can, I don't remember the details, but there was something wrong with it. I heard from somewhere there was something with the new one that made it, I can just write it, no good. But I can't remember what it was. Okay. That, that, that was a problem. What about Greer, Garson, Pride and Prejudice? Is it suitable for teenage children? Probably, yeah. Um, and with some editing out of a few stupid song routines, The Sound of Music, the 1977 Hobbit cartoon movie. Well, actually, were we not sure about that one? Because I think we should maybe ask our listeners for feedback on the ones that we didn't check out thoroughly ourselves. Might be better. We've just, That's yeah, right. I guess none of us have seen them recently enough or at all. So, I, yeah, I think it might be an idea to ask our listeners if they can let us know based on their research if these are any good. So, like, I reckon that the Hobbit cartoon movie from 1977 should probably be in the we're not quite sure basket. What do you think, Jacinda? I don't think I've seen it. So I, I haven't I saw either. it at school. Yeah. I don't remember 100% about that one. So, yeah. anyway, what else would be ones that we could ask our listeners to get back to us on? Oh. Any ideas of ones we're not sure of that could be okay? Well, possibly The Chicken Run, possibly Little Lord Fauntleroy, Little Miss Marker, the 1983 and 1995 versions of Wind in the Willows, um, possibly the early Thomas the Tank Engine episodes. Richard Scarry had some fun oh, yeah. educational videos. Um, perhaps Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> the old one, not the new one. The old oh, one, the definitely. Terrible. The old one. Um, perhaps some of the Lassie films. But there, there may be others and it would be really good if the listeners could get back and yeah. produce a, a good list. Yeah, it would be good if we could get a list and say, you know, to, to provide to people because none of us have the time to go through all these things to try to figure out what's suitable. Jacinda, what would you like to add to the list of what we can allow our children to watch? Well, I think, um, you know, as well as um, having a list of sort of secular movies that are okay and aren't going to corrupt them and have some sort of merit to them, I think there's also some good religious movies that they could be watching. So 
There are various movies made by non-mainstream Catholic producers such as The War of the Vendée and St. Bernadette by Novice Pictures. They're very good, as is The Miracle of Marcelino. Uh, there's the Therese movie by Luke Films, The Reluctant Saint about St. Joseph Cupertino. There's a three-part series produced in Spain in the 1950s under the direction of Father Patrick Payton called Life of Christ, Mysteries of the Rosary. That's excellent, actually. Yeah, I would love that one. The slideshow DVD by Pro Maltus Media, Catholic Songs for Children and Traditional Mass for Children, beautiful for very young children. And they also have the Stations of the Cross, various versions of the Mysteries of the Rosary and a new one out called The Seven Sorrows of Our Lady. There's also a handful of others, including those CCC Saints cartoon movie series. And it should be added that not all Saints movies are good. Some people think that, you know, it's about a saint, must be good, let's let the kids watch it. But sometimes more damage can actually be done by showing movies that aren't quite factually right when dealing with Catholicism than those dealing solely with secular issues. I think it was The Keys to the Kingdom, which isn't a children's movie, admittedly, that promoted ecumenism. And that's not surprising given that Gregory Peck was a card-carrying communist. King of Kings has problems, as does The Ten Commandments. Understandably, movies made in Hollywood are necessarily going to be problematic. And in recent times, their perversions of biblical themes are getting more and more outrageous and blasphemous, so it's best to stick with Catholic producers. I mean, one example is they had made this remake of Noah's Ark with, I think it had Russell Crowe in it. In that movie, the the Nephilim actually help him. So you've got these fallen angel type things that are actually being the good guys helping him. So, again, this... And didn't that one have an environmentalist agenda? Yeah, I think it did, actually, yeah. I did hear something. I think it did. I mean, I heard that they were just terrible, that one, and there was another terrible biblical one that's just come out not long ago. What was that one? Oh, yeah, there was. I can't remember what it is. Oh, I can't remember either. But they actually got a pretty good choice there. So, I mean, it's not like you have to, to throw up your hands in despair. There still are things out there. And for the discerning parent who does care, you can find the stuff if you want it. So as we close out this episode, we've exposed the truth about children's movies, TVs, and the media, anti-culture in general. And I want to thank you, Louise and Jacinta, for your time and being with us on this episode. Now, is there anything else you would like to add in summary before we close out our episode? If you are serious about setting your family on the path to heaven and have instituted good habits in the family, perhaps including homeschooling, then you must plug this gaping hole in your defences, being the modern media. This can and will undo everything you are striving to achieve. If you've been allowing this into your home, you may be wondering why you are not seeing the fruits of your labour. The TV and movies are the culprit. Please do not let this blasphemous demon we call TV into your home or anywhere near your precious children. I think, you know, as Catholic parents, we, we work hard because we care about, you know, this salvation of our children. That's our number one priority. And, I mean, if we had someone, like a person coming into our house and they were teaching our children something that was completely opposed to what we were trying to instil in our children ourselves, we would kick them out of the house straight away. So the same should actually go with, with the TV and with movies. Yes, very sound advice. Once again, Louise and Jacinta, thank you for your time, and we will talk to you again next month as we continue this series. God bless you. If you have any questions for Jacinta and Louise or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at catholichome at truerestoration.org. We will pass along your questions or comments to Jacinta and Louise. 
we also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us is strictly confidential. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who help make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. For the restoration, I am Teresa. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.